Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff. Are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 until noon Eastern, 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. And you can find us on the iHeartRadio app at FSR or stream us live every day at YouTube.com slash The Dan Patrick Show. You are listening to The Dan Patrick Show on Fox Sports Radio. Dan, I, I wanted to start with, and for people who don't know, okay, so my show is daily. 3 to 5 Eastern Time on Fox Sports Radio, foxsportsradio.com, iHeart app. And, of course, we have an hour live podcast that's from 5 to 6. You can pick it up whenever, but we do it, you know, in the third hour of the show. Dan, of course, part of that show. And then Dan has his own show on weekends. Plus, he has his own uh, I Want Your Flex podcast, which will, I would encourage you to download because it will get you ready for this upcoming NFL season. But I, I, I want to start with the Michael Orr story. Only in that, look, there's all kinds of little stories we can get to, right? Brock Purdy throws has thrown 10 camp interceptions. I don't know if we care about that. Or the Trey Lance, do they even want him in San Francisco? Uh, we could get to the, the abject disaster, which is the Eric Bieniemy relationship right now with the Washington Commanders. Um, there's only one quasi holdout it's Josh Jacobs but you feel like he's going to show up right before the first week of the season and then play on that franchise tag because he doesn't really have any options Uh, there's lots of little stories we could get to but this is a story that it Jay Stu I I thought you said it best right it crosses there's so many different elements to it right but I think the overarching thing is and this is this is kind of where we are as a society Okay, so stick with me for a second. Um, in my lifetime, there's, you know, 10 of these sorts of stories, right? Of guy from nothing, Jimmy Butler was once homeless, right? Now he's Jimmy Buckets. Kurt Warner was stocking shelves at a grocery store while playing in Europe and Arena League or whatever, and then becomes the NFL's MVP and a Hall of Fame quarterback. There are... We, we, by the way, we never do riches to riches. No one ever grew up with money. No one's ever like, man, I grew up, I had no issues, three-car garage, and oh, yeah, by the way, I made it. Everybody, it's rags to riches, but these top them all. In the uh, changing someone's life through helping by, by, by helping from a family, 
there's so many elements to it, right? This is in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, and you have white family, black athlete. You have kid comes from uh, no means and mom with personal issues to a solid, stable family. That it become literally became what we would call, again, this is child of the 80s. It's an afternoon special. Right? You guys remember we used to, what days were those on, guys, where you get home and there's an afternoon school special? And they're all for sure. They were never on Fridays. I felt like Wednesday. I felt like Wednesday yeah. was the after school special. Right? And maybe now you say, well, it's a lifetime movie. But this was a real movie because we were told it's a real story because it's a real book. And you take all the other elements to it. And to start the week, you felt like, oh, my gosh, this family was taking advantage of this kid. Like, this is terrible. The entire story appeared to be fraudulent because based upon one lawsuit, um, there are allegations that they fleeced him. They literally exploited his name, image, and likeness. Of course, now as the other side of the story comes out and other pieces come out, uh, the most recent part, Dan, and I know you know this. I don't know if everybody else has been paying attention because I just, this story, I don't know if I can't get enough of, but I, I just want to see it play out before I make some true determination into what and who I believe. The latest is that um, the Tui family doesn't want to, be, to, to have the conservative ship anymore. And, of course, the lawyer came out with some stinging barbs going back two days ago. And Michael Lewis, who, of course, was the author and then helped write the movie, Michael Lewis has come out and said, look, this is a Hollywood thing, essentially saying it's a bad contract and Hollywood made $300 million, and these people only made three hundred grand, which they split up evenly amongst everybody. I don't know. It's just a fascinating story, yeah. Dan. I, you, you and I, we work together every day, but we haven't because you've been filling in for Cavino and Rich, who've been filling in for, for, for Dan. Um, where are you on this whole? thing? Did a complete one eighty. If you would have talked to me on Monday, I would have been like, "Gosh, how how dare they do this to Michael Orr? Yeah, how dare they do this?" Twenty four hours later, I'm like, "This is bogus." And the reason is, is because it just felt who had the most to gain in all of this, and then. I found out that Michael Orr's got a book out or coming out or is out and had been making some of the media rounds with some of this. And then I thought, Doug, to myself, how in the world could this family have imagined that this story would be not only turned into a movie, but make the what three hundred million dollars that you said that it, that it ended up yeah. making that yeah. would lead to Sandra Bullock winning an Oscar for there is no possible way that that family could have known that or have this be the plan for it to work out for them to then want to screw Michael Orr over and not give him any money. Yeah, I, I just we we do this all the time though. Right, and I'm not. I'm not saying just you. I, I saw it in real time with so many people in the media. Um, I, I don't know what becomes of the Brett Favre story, but remember, there was a, a good week last year during football season where Brett Favre was the worst human being on earth. Now, I, I don't think that some of the ways in which he went about trying to raise money for the facilities at Southern Miss um, were perfect. 
But I, I also think that as more and more evidence comes out, it doesn't appear that there's any sort of way in which he thought, okay, they're going to use welfare money, right? Like, it's one thing to, to call somebody who's got a grant, who's sitting on cash, and go like, hey, man, can you donate to my school? This will really help me out. This will really help us out. It's a whole other thing to say, like, could you use the money meant for welfare recipients in the poorest state in the union? Let's take food literally out of mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters' hands and put it into a volleyball facility, right? There's a difference there. And I, I get it, right? Like, when when salacious accusations come out, it's like, it's like cocaine to all of us in the media. We're like, oh my gosh, we gotta... But we, we do it all the time. And, uh, yeah, now when it comes out, I, I look, I think the, the truth lies somewhere uh, in the middle. I I did think it was a little much. Now, here's where I knew there was something up for a long time is I think all of us on some level have had Michael Orr on back when he was a young burgeoning we thought would be star in the NFL and because we knew the story. But I I don't think he's ever spoken about it because I every time I've ever had him on or asked to have him on, I've gotten the, hey, look, you can have him on. He's great. You, but you, you can't talk about the – he doesn't want to talk about the, the blind side. He wants to talk about him, how he's raised. What were you saying, Chase? Go ahead. There, there's one exception. Remember, when he wrote his first book, I think it was 2011, he did a media tour. And that was – I think it was called Against All Odds or something like that. Or maybe I'm confusing it with a Phil Collins song. But, <laughs> or maybe, but um, he did address a lot of this. He wanted to kind of um, set straight the record from his actual story to the story in the movie. I just don't think he went – this hard at the family back then well there's obviously i mean this is is this one that we're coming back from right like there's this one's a that's going to be hard to rebuild any sort of relationship there right hey listen i I know i accused you of stealing 15 million dollars from me but we're good now right i'll tell you what yes on the surface it does sound like that but if this if the family dynamic was the same in both ways I think you'd be surprised at what could heal. As crazy as it sounds, like the accusations, if if you know one of us did it to the other person, there would be no relationship, even though we work closely together. But if this is supposed to be the family unit that and it works for both sides, maybe the Tui family feels one way and or obviously feels the other way. But if if that is still there, I th- I think that there could be amending no matter how horrendous this it's interesting you point that out because I would agree with you. I do think that all relationships, when they're based, you know, when you dig through all the gobbledygook, right, you go through, I mean, obviously you'd have to go through a lot of therapy, you know, I still think there's probably a tremendous amount of love and, you know, what happens is people stop talking and I'm, and I'm like, again, I'm totally guessing from 30,000 feet here, Sure, but you're guessing that here's Michael Orr who is on a trajectory to success to making a hundred million dollars his nfl career didn't work out right and now he starts looking through things and people have been saying like bro you made how much from that movie you made what excuse me you know and you know you get around people who continue to kind of stoke that fire and you don't actually sit down and have conversations with it it's no different than any sort of marriage breakdown or uh, family breakdown when you stop talking 
you start making up the stories in your head and you start taking snippets of what other people say to you and you create a narrative of your own. And there, there is definitely yeah. a, a room, room for redemption, especially if, there's, if, there, if it truly is kind of based upon you know, love and, and appreciation for each other. I just, we're not close to that point right now, right? Because yeah. it's not like Michael is like, yeah, hey, my bad. Yeah, it's way off, way off in the distance. And I also, I also find it interesting, Doug, from what you said at the outset of the show, specifically with this show that we are currently sitting in, uh, sitting in for the guys for the Dan Patrick Show. And what is the conversation about Rudy and what Joe Montana said about the movie Rudy? Nobody wants to believe it. No, nobody wants to believe that this great blindside story didn't actually turn out like this or actually wasn't like this. And that's the part that's like if we found out that in Hoosiers, you know, Jimmy doesn't make the shot, if that, you know, didn't happen and it was a fictional story, we'd be like, oh, it's kind of a letdown. But then we feel like, hey, this did happen. It's happened at Milan High School in the 1950s. This actually happened. There's something that is tied to it. And so now to have this, I feel that there's a different emotional reaction. Because you want to believe it's true. I mean, how many years ago did Joe Montana try to shoot down the Rudy, you know, script on this show, and the guys still talk about it? And I think that's a part of this as well, and why, for everything that you said at the outset of why it still affects us right now, is because the story was so good. I don't know if it's you know too good to be true, but we don't want it to not be that story. Is the Kurt Warner the only story that's too good to be true that really is? Right. Yeah. I mean, that one's pretty amazing if you really kind of get down to it. Like he he goes from Arena League and then playing in Europe, and really the third string quarterback with the Rams, the grocery store, the grocery store thing, yes, to the to the greatest show on turf. And then, oh yeah, by the way, the other element to it was, you know, he with the bad was a finger or hand when he was in New York. They couldn't play him. Like he went. This was my thing. I Kurt's a friend. And he's an awesome, awesome dude. And by the way, like, I don't know how many people know this. He's got a gym at his house. And so he always has people over to play like four on four. It's like, it's kind of like three quarter court length. And you always want to be on Kurt's team because he does make every call and makes a lot of shots, but he's getting the calls. Anyway, uh, but like his Hall of Fame resume was hard because he had like four years where he's arguably or inarguably the best quarterback in the league. But he had like five years where he couldn't really play. Like, he was bad. And he was a backup. Like, within the context of his... That's not even taking into account how he made the league, etc. Um, but he... The, the thing about Kurt is, like, he made it from nowhere, then lost it, then was a backup, then made it again in Arizona. Like, it's crazy. Yeah. And it's one of those, like, there's no way. It's too good to be true. And it's not. But the Orr story does appear to be, at least on some level, too good to be true. I just wish we could kind of like, um, you guys ever seen Mystery Science Theater 3000? Long time ago, but yes. Okay, so Mystery Science, Jay Stu, you didn't say anything, so you've never seen no, it. No, I remember it. It's kind of, in the cheap seats came after it, kind of ripped it off. Right, right. And it's basically, you know, you had, the idea was these uh, this guy and a robot, and I, was there like a dog or something? Can't remember. But they're they're stuck in space. And so they have to watch these terrible B movies because the only thing that they have, and they just make smart ass comments the entire time, right? I or I just wish we had like Michael Orr while that movie's being played and say like, well, here's what really happened, 
Yeah, that's not really how it took place. I don't know that that may be a bummer too. So I'm not I'm not sure. Okay, so Dan's done a 180. Where are you, Jay Stu, on this story? Who do you believe as of Thursday, August 17th? It sure doesn't look good for Michael Orr's side of the story. Um, and I think when the receipts come out, I think the family's probably going to um, come out looking like they didn't do a whole lot wrong here. I think it's sad, though. Uh, Rich Ornberger was in for, for you earlier in the week. And he had said something along the lines of, this is sad regardless because if this is a pure money play, that means Michael probably went through all of his money, which is sad uh, because you can't spend that money. That, that means you got bad advice, financial advice, and uh, he wouldn't be the first nor the last. But the whole thing just stinks. I think I was at that phase on Monday and I'm still at that phase. Uh, but, yeah, that's, that's kind of where it's at. It, it's, it seems to be leaning towards the family. But I think we'll uh, we'll reserve all final opinions. Uh, John Ramos, how about you? Uh, I just think I agree with Jason. I just think it's sad. It's sad that something that was so powerful, you know, winning uh, Sandra Bullock an Oscar and just kind of being a, a good, feel-good story has come to this level it, right now. Is so. it sad or is it too bad? Because there are levels. Yeah. Right? Like... <laughs> Like that's too bad. <laughs> but if you go, I'll, I'll go with sad. But you're right, go you're gonna bad. go. To, I'm gonna. Yeah. I'm gonna go with that's too bad. You're gonna go with that's too bad. Yeah. Not sad. Yeah. I really I thought sad. Dan was was doing the lyrics of an '80s uh, pop band. Or <laughs> no, I really but did. I did yeah. want to say. Remember when Michael Orr sat down and said, "Take a look at me now." <laughs> After you made your against all odds reference. <laughs> ah, nice. Oh. <laughs> uh... Phil Collins is one of those guys. He went bald early, Jeez. so you never. He never really aged, even when he aged. Right? It's one of those. I, I was. I, I. I took one of my daughters to a barbecue joint yesterday, and we walked by a guy, and I said, "Like Grace, did you see that guy's hair?" She's like, "Yeah, what about it?" I go, "Like, did you look a little closer?" She's like, "No." I was like, "Dude, that's the worst rug I've ever seen." Uh-huh. And but he was a young guy. He's a good-looking dude, but you know, I mean, he had. Like the the it looked like the whole top was gone, and then he had some real hair on the side. And I don't know if it was a chia pet like planted in there, or if it was just one of those sticker things going on. I don't know, but it, it looked bad. It's just like one of those you want to grab and go, like, dude, what are you doing? Like, it's okay. People are bald today. I've always had a very good inkling for calling out or knowing someone with a toupee since I was young in my younger days. I agree. My my I've gaydar always, my gaydar is yeah. bad. My gaydar is bad, but my radar on hair pieces is good. Right. I don't know if you guys I, like I, I don't I think some people have both. Some people have neither. That, that's where mine breaks down. But I, anyway, I just wanted to like you want to grab and go like, look, dude, you're a young guy. You're in good shape. You got a good looking girlfriend. Like just shave it. Right. And then eventually you'll never age. Like, yeah, you're bald at like, I don't know. He probably looked like he was 30. Like, all right, you're bald at 30. It sucks. Really, really, really hard. OK, but. Like, you know, it's a good hat collection you can go through. And bald's kind of beautiful and cool and kind of masculine. And, you know, by the time you get to 50, you won't look 50. You'll still look 40. Right? That's the Phil Collins thing. John, is this superpower only with toupees or does it work with wigs as well? It works with everything. All right. Yeah. Wait, it works with what else? Wigs. 
I don't wigs. know if it was just male specific uh, extensions, things like that. Extensions, yeah. wigs. Yep, I'm good at all of that stuff. I like that. We need to have the, this needs to be part of the next John Ramos show. Just <laughs> be sure to catch the live edition of the Dan Patrick Show weekdays at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr., and I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back, and joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleha Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Doug Gottlieb in for Dan, the Danettes, along with uh, my guys, Dan Beyer. Of course, Jason Stewart and John Ramos. It's the Dan Patrick Show here on Fox Sports Radio. Um, we've got a great next, I don't know, 20 minutes for you. We'll do some baseball first, some college football second. And look, Major League ba- Go ahead. I'm sorry, Dan. Okay. Um, look, the, the, the idea of, of having an, uh, having an umpire 
or taking away the umpire and have um, having it basically called by computer or a robot or, you know, this the idea of not having a living human being calling balls and strikes is getting we're getting it feels like closer and closer. And we got AI technology, which anybody who has kids knows kids use it to write their papers. I'm just fascinating on what actual baseball players think of the idea of having some form of robot umpire. Let's welcome in Matt Holliday, of course, a seven-time All-Star, four-time Silver Slugger. Um, should be noted that his son Jackson is the number one prospect in minor league baseball after being the number one pick of the Orioles in the minor league draft in the in the uh, in the amateur draft going back to last year. Matt, good morning to you. Um, where are you on umpires as opposed to? Uh, the robots in New York calling balls and strikes. Well, I think that uh, I think you know AAA has the challenge um, where they can challenge. And, and, and I don't know what the exact rules are, how often you can challenge it, but um, I at least like the idea that a hitter gets gets an opportunity to challenge. Uh, the balls and strikes. They did it at the Futures game. Uh, it was the first time I'd seen it in person. And it was a pretty cool deal where, you know, the, the hitter steps out, challenges, and then they go to the to the Jumbotron in the outfield, and it shows this uh, technology where it almost like kind of like tennis where it shows the ball coming through, and then, you know, it's a ball instead of a strike or a strike instead of a ball, and then, you know, that's the result. So um, I – I don't know uh, if I'm in favor of completely uh, going to, uh, a, you know, sort of this just umpire standing there relaying the, the information they're getting from uh, the, the technology. But I, I think that the hitter having an opportunity to challenge one pitch in a bat or uh, I don't know what exactly, you know, how much or what, what the rule should be. But I do like the idea in a big spot if, if an umpire gets carried away with the emotions of the game or, you know, you have an umpire that's that's struggling that night and not not doing a very good job, and it's a, it's a big call, and it's a you know it's a strike three or a pitch that's a big point in the game that's going to impact the outcome of the game that you have a chance to go to a to a you know an, an what however you want to phrase it a computer or something that that's totally um, doesn't have you know take the emotion out of the game and just kind of is what it is. So uh, I I'm you know as a hitter. I, I, I like to, to be uh, right, particularly in and out. I, I understand that some of the technology might cause, you know, some high strikes or some low strikes, uh, maybe some breaking balls that end up almost in the dirt, be, that catch in the bottom half of the strike zone. But I'm okay with that if you get the, the in and out right. Um, I, those are the ones. You, it's really hard as a hitter to cover off the plate both away and inside at times that, that umpires give. So, um, I, I am in favor of some sort of technology. Yeah, I, I guess the, the fear is that it turns into football where, you know, football replay, as good as it is and as many games as it's changed and bad calls as it's saved, we have reached a point where even on a game-winning touchdown, we, gotta, we can't just, like, celebrate organically. Hold on. We got to wait yeah. to see if that one – right? It, it takes away some of the organic nature to it. And you don't want that. In addition to which, like, I don't know. And, again, I no, I, I obviously didn't play it nearly at your level. But, I don't know, kind of the, the cool thing about baseball has always been that no park is uniform, right? So everybody has their own park rules. And no umpire's strike zone is uniform. So 
Hey, this guy likes the low ones. I don't know. I kind of think that's the beauty to it is the human factor, and I fear that we're taking the human factor out of it. Yeah, I, I see that. But, I, I mean, then there's the, the idea of hitting 97-mile-an-hour fastballs with this umpire likes the – likes the outside off the outside corner that's great that he likes that but that doesn't make it you know easy to hit or even possible to hit so um i i don't know i i think that if we have the technology to get the balls and strikes right i don't see why we don't use it um so um you know i like i said i i i'm okay with with the, the current situation but uh, as a hitter, there's nothing more maddening uh, than having counts changed in the pitcher's favor, uh, because you know, it, it, you know, when we have technology, when when you get the from a it goes from a, you know, sort of a two-one count, I'm in a good spot to a one-two count because he misses a, a pitch uh, that's clearly off the plate. Um, so. Uh, I have respect for umpires. It's a hard job, and, and I, I think that, that all in all, they do a really, really good job. But uh, if we get to the point where it's quick to have, you know, very, very accurate balls and strikes, then, then I'm, I'm good with getting it right over tradition, you know, in this, in this situation because it doesn't take long, uh, unlike replay in the NFL where you have to run over and get under the hood and somebody, you know, could take up to a few minutes to check it. This is, this is instant. Uh, notification of, of what's, you know, a ball or a strike. Um, how do you fix the Yankees? Well, I, you know, I think at this point um, they've gotten a little bit old. Um, they're, they're hurt. They're banged up. A lot of their pitchers are hurt. Uh, guys that they've counted on uh, to, to, to really carry uh, the rotation has been, has been uh, kind of a mess. Uh, so, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, obviously having a ton of money and being able to go out in the free agent market and, and buy essentially, you know, whoever you want is, is a great thing. Uh, but you have to have you have to have an influx of, of young talent, uh, you know, coming and, and being able to supplement free agents as opposed to rely on free agents. So, uh, you know, I think sometimes you just can't help injuries, you know, and, and sometimes a guy like, you know, Stan, who, uh you know, at one point was a you know an elite player and a, and a great athlete. Um, you know, injuries have taken its toll on him. And uh, you know, Rizzo's hasn't hit for power this year, and, and he's had some injuries. And um, so, I, I think you just have to be careful of, of having too many older players that that are uh, somewhat injury prone or, or starting to head in, in that you know sort of down part of their career where. Um, and then it really tests your depth of, of how good your young your young players are, and, and uh, they they just haven't performed maybe to what they thought. So I think it's been kind of a culmination of, of a lot of, of things going wrong uh, this year. And, you know, there's several teams have had that. You know, you had the Mets and the Padres and the Cardinals all also. Um, you know, coming into this season, we all would have would have guessed with you know with the new with an extra playoff spot that all those teams would have been. Uh, probably right in the middle of, of, of playoffs, but you know, it looks like none of them will, will be in. So, uh, it's baseball can be weird like that, where you know, a couple key injuries and, and a, you know, a couple guys have down years, and next thing you know, uh, you know, it, it can look really bad. Yeah, are they built for the past era? Right? How much of it is injuries, but how much of it is like? Look, baseball has dramatically changed. You and I talked about this in person. Talked a bit on my about on my show, which is now 
athleticism now a priority on the base pass. It's a priority. You, ha- you have to be able to cover your position. Can't hide you with the shift, right? Yeah. And uh, it, it feels like it's, it's a different sport. And so the construct of teams has to be different. And these teams are just slow to adjust to everything that's changed within mm-hmm. this season. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a good point. Um, I do think that sometimes you, you, you're, 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 you're sort of tied to a contract's Right, so you're you're tied into some some contracts that that uh, that you've already signed, you know, sort of pre-shift and pre, um, you know, looking at the game a little bit differently with with athleticism. But I do think you're right in that it is it is uh, a more athletic game. I think you know the ability to manufacture runs and um, you know to to do things a little different. It's coming back around, uh, you know, to where we had gotten to the point where. It was sort of everybody just wanted, you know, home run hitters and, and uh, guys that walk and, uh, you know, play play that. And, and now it looks like. Did we lose him or is that me? Uh, okay. We, 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 we lost Matt. We'll get him back in, in one second. This is the Dan Patrick Show here on Fox Sports Radio. Matt Holliday is our guest, seven-time All-Star, four-time Silver Sluggers. We're, we're discussing things in Major League Baseball. I do if there, – there he is. There he is. Matt, let yeah, me let, let me with this. The Dodgers have won 10 in a row. Now, mm-hmm. I, I think we can all say, hey, the Braves are the best team in baseball and, and be okay with that. Uh, this was – it felt like, like a transition year for the Dodgers, so they really didn't do much. Fix the bullpen, fix the rotation. Everybody thinks they're going after Shohei and then going to fix things next year. But now you're sitting at 73 and 46, winners of 10 games in a row. Um, how much of this is real and how much of this is just a heater? I think they're good. I mean, I think they're, um, you know, they still have a lot of great players. I mean, they have two of the best players in the league with Mookie Betts and, and Freddie Freeman. Uh, they still have Clayton Kershaw, who, when he's healthy, is, is pitching like he, you know, peak. Clayton Kershaw, um, they still have a, they, they've done an incredible job despite picking uh, later in the first round, uh, you know, and, and not having a ton of high drafts of, of developing a lot of really good young players and a lot of impact pitchers. Uh, so when they go to their farm system, it seems like the guys they bring up uh, come up with and, and have an impact. And, and so they have some, they have some sneaky, sneaky good players and like Will Smith and, and some of these guys that, you know, out on the West Coast, maybe don't get the love that they would if they played on the East Coast. So, I think they're, they they uh, they just continue to 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 be good and roll out uh, you know division winning seasons and and so uh, I think they're good. I mean, I just they have experience. A lot of their their uh, their their players, their their veteran players, have won a World Series, and I just think. Um, you know they're they're going to be tough out, and and uh, and I, I think that they they play well at home. Uh, it's a very tough place to go in and win at Dodger Stadium. So uh, I definitely think that that uh, they might be flying under the radar a little bit with with the way as good as the the Braves have played. Uh, but I, I think the Dodgers are and are going to be right in the middle of of, uh, of the National League when it comes to playoff time. Awesome stuff, Matty. Thanks so much for joining us, dude. Have a great day. Uh, good luck in the whatever pickleball your game you're playing in today, and we'll talk soon. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Thanks, Doug. Uh, Matt, Matt Holiday, pickleball All-American, uh, burgeoning pickleball star, who also played 15 years in the major leagues and was a seven-time All-Star and four-time Silver Slugger. The supremely versatile all-electric EQB from Mercedes-Benz. It's impressively techy and surprisingly roomy, with available settings, uh, seating up to seven. The vehicle is all-electric. The feeling. 
All Mercedes. Learn more at MBUSA.com slash EQB. All right. Uh, I, I don't know how many people know this. Matt Holiday was, was supposed to go to Oklahoma State. He was the number one ranked quarterback in the country. His dad at the time was the head baseball coach. His brother was a baseball player. And now his brother's the baseball coach at Oklahoma State. And all things revolve around Oklahoma State. We'll bring in Brett McMurphy, who's also an Oklahoma State alum, but most known for being a college football insider with the Action Network. And, Brett, I think a lot of people continue to react to the downfall of the Pac-12, not because of what has happened over the past couple weeks, but because of what could have happened over the past couple years. Um, Why didn't the Pac-12 go for the juggler and kill the Big 12 two years ago? which ultimately has ended up killing the Pac-12 today. On your show for the next hour, and I can go through it blow by blow. No, I'm kidding. Uh, because basically their presidents felt like they were above the Big 12 schools because of academics and other factors. They had no interest in adding the schools from the Big 12 that were left over. Bob Bowlesby, the former commissioner, went to the Pac-12 and said, hey, Let's merge. You can take our eight schools. You'll have a Pac-20. And basically the Pac-12 said no. And then Brett Yormark comes in as the new commissioner. He goes early with the TV deal. He gets that done. And then, you know, great story yesterday by Brady McCullough of the L.A. Times, you know, laid out some details behind the scenes of what have, what happened over the past couple of years. And basically uh, there were two, two or three main sticking points on what doomed the Pac-12. Obviously it's not that simple. But one is George Klyovkov put a big um, emphasis on trying to get the California Board of Regents to block UCLA's move to the Big Ten, which I guess technically they could, but realistically, you know, no, nobody in that position is going to keep back a university from moving to another conference. But still, he put a lot of effort in that, um, tried to work that behind the scenes. That obviously did not work. And then ultimately, um, Brady reported that, you know, ESPN came to the Pac-12 with an offer of about $30 million per school, which is what the Big 12 ultimately got. Um, but one of the presidents had a, quote, professor on his campus that ran the meteorites value info for them and said, no, we're worth $50 million per school instead of 30 So they turned down the 30 told ESPN they want $50 million per school. ESPN said no. They never got a deal, and now that the conference is blown up and Oregon State, Washington State, Cal, and Stanford are trying to you know, scrape something together here. Along the heels of that, I also uh, heard, and, and Brett, I can't remember if it was from the same article or, or not, but a message that was the conference wasn't too hurt that Colorado was leaving and they felt they had a suitable replacement. Is that true? Was it San Diego State? Was was there a backup plan that they could have navigated that Colorado departure that, that maybe they felt didn't have an effect on the conference? Yeah, I mean, look, at, you know, after the fact, it's easy for people to say, oh, yeah, we didn't want that school in our conference. And, yeah, Colorado has not had much, if any, success uh, since they got to the Pac-12 except for one season. Uh, but to get San Diego State in, it's not that easy. San Diego State, depending on when they left, the Mountain West would have to pay either 17 or $34 million. So, yeah, you could say they could slide in there. Guys, it's just like when you, you know, you know, you know how this works. Uh, a fan base, you're after a recruit, and the, you think you've got this recruit locked in. And at the last minute, he signs with your rival school, and then you're like, oh, yeah, we didn't want him anyway. He's not that good. 
that's that's how it is with this thing with Colorado. They loved Colorado until Colorado wasn't a member, and then suddenly it's like, well, they're not that good anyway. You can say what you want about Colorado. You know, you're in the Denver market. That's pretty significant. Uh, Dion brings a lot of attention to that. And you're losing a Power 5 program that brings in Power 5 media rights revenue. And it's, it's, it's easy to kind of dismiss them, but it's kind of comical. It's like a fan base uh, just fine losing a recruit to another school. It's interesting because this is a transition year, right? Like the Big 12 brings in new schools but still has Oklahoma and Texas. The Pac-12 uh, obviously has changed dramatically, will change dramatically this year. How, how does all that affect the actual season, you think? <laughs> well, I know from, from talking to, to folks at the different schools that, the, you know, the schools leaving, SC, UCLA, Texas, and Oklahoma, um, you know, they're, I think, half joking but half serious, like, you know, how are we going to get treated by the officials? They know what the fan base is going to be like. I mean, Doug, I'm, I'm sure you're going to be for the final. You're going to be in Stillwater for the final bedlam. I mean, it's it's going to be crazy, fan wise. But you know, there is some. You know, there is some concern. You know, when you talk to these schools privately about how are they going to be treated on the field. You know, I don't think there's any vendetta out there to screw the schools that are leaving that this is their last year in the league. But, again, that's human nature, and I guarantee the first bad call against one of these schools, you know, you can see the instant outrage on Twitter, like, oh, the, the Big 12's, you know, they're paying back OU in Texas right now, or the Pac-12's putting it to, to, to USC and UCLA or Oregon and Washington. Um, whether that's legit or not, I, I don't know. I, I, I think the officials are above that, you know, the ones that – that do these games, but again, that's going to be in the back of mind of of everybody. If you see some calls go against these schools that are that are getting out this year, is it going to be a yearly tradition now? And wondering on who's going to stay in the ACC. <laughs> I, I mean, like it, it felt like that's what this week felt like. A hey, tradition they're going to, unlike any other, they're going to stick around for twenty twenty four. How long can this go on in that conference? Uh, yeah, that's a that's a great point, and yeah, it is. Uh, you know, look, Florida State has been very vocal. Their president, their board of regents has said, you know, look, it's not if we're going to leave, it's when and how. And, you know, the deadline to leave before the 24th season was a couple days ago, August 15th. Um, but, yeah, so now the clock starts on next August 15th. And um, I think at some point Florida State, Clemson, possibly North Carolina, maybe Miami, Virginia, I mean, the list goes on and on, will – Get out, try to get out of the ACC. I mean, look, you can pay the exit fee, but then you've got to negotiate, you know, basically 10 to 12 years of TV revenue that, that you would owe the league or the grant of rights. But, yeah, I think this is, going to con- this is going to continue. And that's why, you know, going back, um, Doug, when you asked about the Pac-12, the future of the Pac-12 was never dependent on the Pac-12. It was always on the Big Ten. When did the Big Ten – um, decide they would add USC, UCLA, Oregon, and Washington. And that's what made the, the Pac-12 um, in such a precarious position. And it's the same with the ACC. They're going to they're gonna remain only as long as those schools don't leave because then they'll go to the, to the uh, Big Ten and the ACC. As a Big 12 guy, the reason the Big 12 staying together is, look, nobody else wants us. I mean, the SEC got who they wanted. The Big Ten doesn't want anybody. 
So there's nowhere for these guys to go. So because of that, the Big 12 has kind of actually risen above everything, and the ACC is kind of waiting there. And you're right, this is going to be an annual occurrence. Uh, we should sub- celebrate it like Festivus. But until these guys actually announce that they're leaving, this is going to be continually on the back of everybody's mind is, okay, yeah, you're together now, but how long until, you know, schools A through Z say they're going to leave the conference? We're a, a couple weeks away from seeing Dion's uh, first, first squad, right? He's going to get a chance to, on Fox, they'll take on TCU. And there's a lot more to this game than just a future Big, tw- you know, a future Big 12 opponent taking on TCU who went to the national championship game last year. There's, you know, bragging rights within the DFW, which is where, you know, so many of these players come from. What do we guess this first year of Colorado Buffalo is going to look like? Doug, I think the uh, the over-under for the win total was three and a half. And the guys that do our analytics at Action Network, I think, are projecting them at uh, two or three wins. Um, you know, I, they're not going to get to a bowl game. Um, you know, maybe somewhere down the road they will in the next few years. I, I, I agree with those projections. I think they're really going to struggle. They've obviously had a ton of turnover. Um, you know, Dion did great at Jackson State. It's not to say he won't do great at Colorado, but I just think this first year depth is going to be a real concern. Obviously, the, the transfer portal issues have been well documented, and ultimately, I think they're. I saw um, saw something the other day. They may only have like five defensive linemen. If that's accurate, I don't. You're not going to get through an entire season with five defensive linemen, and if you are, your defense is. Is not going to stop many people. I think they'll put up some points. I think they'll be, you know, explosive on offense. I just think the defense isn't going to be able to stop anybody. And the schedule, again, they're projected to only be favored in two of their two of their twelve games. So unless they pull off a handful of upsets, they're probably looking at, you know, somewhere between two and four wins. Which yeah, of course the, will feed the narrative of the Pac-12. Well, we didn't really need them. Yeah, well, but and then it'll be interesting to see what he's able to do in recruiting and in building uh, in short order. It's hard to flip it in a year, but two years is kind of the expectation. Brett McMurphy, check him out in the Action Network. Follow him on social media. Brett, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. All right, coming up next in the Dan Patrick Show, we'll play The Price is Right with sports memorabilia. That's next. Be sure to catch the live edition of the Dan Patrick Show weekdays at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Attention all wrestling aficionados. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. This is Freddie Prince Jr., and I am beyond thrilled to announce that our wrestling extravaganza is back, and joining me once again is the one and only Jeff Dye. Get ready as we highlight the most jaw-dropping matches, dissect the fiercest feuds, and uncover the latest twists and turns in the world of pro wrestling. We're dusting off our legendary side quests and unleashing a barrage of brand new segments that will keep you guys on the edge of your seat like our talks on unsanctioned Thursdays. Freddie, you know we gotta give the people what they want. This season, we have an all-star lineup of special guests who are gonna be gracing our podcast, bringing with them their own unique insights, experiences, and all of that in the world of pro wrestling and beyond. Whether you're a seasoned wrestling veteran or a fresh-faced newcomer, we promise an experience like no other. So buckle up, wrestling fans. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. 
Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleh Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Doug Gottlieb, Dan Byron for Dan the Danettes, Dan Patrick Show, Fox Sports Radio. And just as we did last hour, and we do every day on the Doug Gottlieb Show, afternoons, 3 to 5 Eastern on Fox Sports Radio, the iHeartRadio app, we play a game. So this game is, uh, we continue with the price is right of sports memorabilia, correct? <laughs> yes, yes, that's a decent way to put it. Yeah. I was going to say, you know, it's a bit of an auction, but we just want to get the closest price. This on the heels of a Mickey Mantle game-worn 1958 jersey that is uh, right now in the auction block. And the highest bid as we speak is $3.2 million. So I just went to eBay and looked at different sports memorabilia and wanted sure. to see how close you guys could get to uh, guessing the correct price for these items. Doug, you're up 2 to one to zero. So you have two correct. John Ramos has one and Jason Stewart has zero. Jason, we're going to start uh, the bidding with you on this one. You know, Doug made some news this week when he interviewed Joey Bosa and Bosa had no interest in watching the quarterback Netflix show that featured Patrick Mahomes. How much on eBay could we get for a 2020 Panini Playbook Patrick Mahomes Joey Bosa face-to-face relic autograph 7 out of 10? So it's a trading card. How much would you pay or do you think that this card is worth right now on eBay? Autographed by Mahomes and Bosa face-to-face. There's only 10 of them. Wow, I really need to tap into my nerd uh, mode here. I'm going to say $117. $117. John Ramos. I'll say $500. $500. Doug? $500. Um, I'm going to go $501. Doug knows how to play the game. And you'd get quite the discount. Right now, it's going for $2,599.99. The the thing that threw me off, I mean, obviously, 
that's a lot of money. But also, seven out of ten isn't that the rating of the condition? Uh, no, it's the. It's funny that you mentioned that. There's only ten of those, so that that's the oh. actual seven of ten. Correct. Okay. I think we've proven okay. I am awful at this. I'm I'm an awful <laughs> memorabilia. Estimator. No, I I think I actually think you like I wouldn't. You're thinking to yourself like, why would I spend more than a hundred bucks on this thing? And somebody out there's like, I want Thralsman. How much? How much did you say it was? Two thousand dollars. Two thousand five hundred ninety-nine dollars and ninety-nine cents. So just shy of twenty-six hundred bucks. What about I'd like a, to know what the reserve is on that one. I don't think they're getting. What about an autographed full-sized helmet of the New York Jets by Aaron Rodgers that also says J E T S on it? Now there are multiple of these. A Fanatics helmet, full-sized autographed Jets helmet signed by Aaron Rodgers. John Ramos, your guess on the price of this? Yeah, I'm gonna go up if that card was two grand. This is a this yeah. Right, I'm gonna go higher. I'm gonna go uh, seven thousand dollars. Seven thousand. Okay. There's multiple. How, do we know how many there are? No, it's just one helmet, just a regular full-sized helmet. That's all it is. Jets helmet, autographed by Aaron Rodgers. Two minutes. Two minutes. I'm gonna go five hundred dollars. Okay, five hundred. Jason Stewart. That sounds about right, but I'm gonna go five hundred one. Oh man. Jason Stewart is on the board. Twelve hundred ninety-nine dollars. Yes, just shy of thirteen hundred dollars. John Ramos is seven thousand dollars for that. Just a bit of an overpay. But Jason Stewart is on the board. Doug, right now with a two-item lead as we go into our final item of this round. Doug, we start the bidding with you. How much would you play uh, pay for an autographed Doug Gottlieb NBA con lanyard and? An NBA wristband. So you must have signed an autograph at, autograph at NBA no Con. Really? And someone is now selling it on eBay. How much would you pay for it? Plus, you Come get on, a man. wristband. Like, you get an NBA wristband with it. How much would you pay for this? You got to be kidding. That doesn't. You also really wrote exist. FSR on it as well. Like instead of forty four, you wrote FSR. How much would you pay for this? Uh, uh, um, Ten dollars. Ten dollars. Jason sure. Stewart. <laughs> this is a joke. Dead um, serious. I'm gonna go seven ninety nine. Seven ninety nine. John Ramos. A ten oh one. It is John Ramos's because right now it could be yours for twenty nine ninety nine. Yeah, good job, Doug. Y- yes, there I you think go. The value is actually it's the first ever NBA con. That's the real value. Had I not signed it, it would probably be worth more. All right, John's within two. But you can get that Doug Lanyard for just thirty bucks. You're telling me that Doug put in a bid for twenty nine ninety nine. He over, <laughs> no, had I put in a bid, it would have already been mine. Right? I listed it for sale. That's what I did to increase the value. Coming up next to the Dan Patrick Show, we'll tell you why this Michael Orr story has captured the attention of the entire country. That's next. It's Freddie Prince Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff. Are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddy? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets 
and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.